on this edition of Retronauts. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Retronauts. My name is Ray Barnholtz, and today I have with me Bob Mackey. Hello. And uh, Jeremy Parrish is not with us this week, unfortunately, but we do have a special guest for today's topic, and that is Rachel Weil, who is from the site Femicom, about our topic, which I will mention in a bit, but say hi, Rachel. Hello. Femicom is a uh, web museum of sorts about, again, what today's topic will be, girl games. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, games made, quote-unquote, for girls, and, you know, however people may have succeeded or failed with that, but I think, you know, we'll still have some fun talking about it. I mean, I... This may be a bit of a similar situation to our wrestling episode Uh a few weeks ago uh, where it wasn't something that uh, I was into at the time, you know, perhaps obviously. But looking back at these uh, things that we'll talk about as just uh, sort of relics of pop culture in the 90s, I think, you know, I have this sort of – uh, pseudo nostalgia for it, you know, the sort of vicarious thing, just because you know it's from a time that I remember as well as other people do, and so it's something that I actually wanted to talk about on the show because it does have a, a, a good nostalgic grip on people, including Rachel here, who is our expert voice. So welcome once again, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. Now, uh, go ahead, tell us a bit about yourself and what, what Femicom is, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So um, I am a graduate student slash game developer slash artist based here in Austin, Texas. And um, perhaps some of your listeners might know me by my alter ego, which is Party Time Hexcellent. Mm-hmm. That's my artist alias for the NES performance art that I've done for chip music shows all around the world, like 8 Static and Cheap Beats and Blip Festival. I've been a frequent collaborator with Anamanaguchi, and I've also released two NES homebrew games, uh, Track and Field 2, which was an IndieCade selection in 2012, and then also Electronic Sweet and Fun Fortune Teller, which was part of the LA Game Space experimental game pack that came out uh, last year. So programming NES homebrew games and doing glitchy visual art is my main jam. But in 2012, I also founded Femicom, which is the Feminine Computer Museum and also a play on Famicom. Uh, I guess I would describe Famicom as a physical and online archive of girly video games, software, and electronic toys from the 20th century, so up, up until, you know, 1999. Yeah. Well, I mean, gosh, you know your stuff. I mean, yeah, we could have I you on for like more episodes from here. <laughs> you're making us look bad here. Yeah. I don't, I'm not doing enough with no my kidding. life. No <laughs> kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I did want to talk. I mean, uh, are we going to define what a, a girl game I mean, is? I, or, I, uh, so. I, mean, yeah. I was a little confused about that just because, sure. I mean, like, I know what a gendered toy is. Right. It's harder to tell for video games because, like, I play a lot of games that might be for, like, Harvest Moon, things like that, where... Mm-hmm. The audience seems to be primarily female, but it's not like it doesn't feel like it's a game that's like just this is for this is made for girls. Period. You know, mm-hmm. I, I may, or maybe just my taste for I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I use the words girly and feminine uh, on my site quite regularly, and I pretty much never define them, kind mm-hmm. of intentionally. Um, of course, you know, the most slam dunk kind of girls games are the ones that are explicitly advertised as being for girls, and this is a strategy you see a lot. In the 80s and 90s, um, I have some games right behind me that that actually says four girls on the box. (laughs) Of course, you have games that feature franchises that are popular with girls like Barbie and Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, 
you know, again, I'm, I'm kind of, my cap is at 1999. So I know there, there's contemporary sure. stuff, but, um, so, so is ours in a way. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> I think beyond that, you know, my approach for Femicom and, and certainly it's just one approach, but I choose games based on sort of the aesthetic and visual language is stereotypically girly themes or visual language. So, you know, for example, this is why I, I wouldn't include Tetris in my collection. Hmm. It was wildly popular with women, but it's not a girly game. Right. And, you know, Metroid and Tomb Raider have female playable characters, but I don't, it's hard to make the case that those games are girly, so I haven't included them. Um, but, you know, on the flip side, I think Kirby's Adventure for NES is one of the girliest games ever. It's also one of my favorite games. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's got cute pink candy gardens, rainbows, like it's, it's basically Lisa Frank the game. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it's a great game. I think. Oh yeah, sure. I, love yeah it. I mean, yeah, Kirby games are great, and so yeah. But yeah, it's like, well, <laughs> even when I first saw Kirby as a kid, I've said this before on the show. It's like I looked at it, and it's like, oh, that looks like it's four girls or four babies or whatever. What rent through my mind when I was a uh, eight or nine or whatever. But you know, once you actually play, it's like, oh, it's pretty good. So yeah, yeah. 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 And it's great to also look back through the advertising campaigns for Kirby games. Uh, in yeah. the 80s, or I guess in the 90s. And, uh, the Play It Loud Kirby ads are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so 180. It's like, we're trying so hard to try to make this <laughs> yeah. hardcore males, audiences, or whatever. That Somewhere Kirby. out there, there's this there's a this great like image of um, like U.S. box art and Japan box art side by side. Oh, yeah. and, and often the only difference is they put like frowny, a frowny face uh-huh. on Kirby and gave him angry eyebrows. That's not the Kirby I know. <laughs> No. Weirdly enough, I remember the first commercial for Kirby's Dream Land. It was um it was Kirby versus like this big muscular dude and he ends up eating him. So I think the yeah. they were trying to be like more aggressive with this little puffball sort they of always did that. Yeah, yeah they yeah. always tried to make Kirby seem like a badass. From the beginning. Yeah. Like he was going up against Sonic or something. And it's even like, even his anime, it's like Kirby coming at you. Just oh, like yes. he's in your face. He's no, been rostified. Right yeah. back at you. Oh, right. Sorry. Is it right back at yeah. you? Okay, I always get that wrong. <laughs> I consider that a good thing though. Right. So, I mean, yeah, uh, based on what Femicom uh, presents, I mean, yeah, things are not – they're more towards that sort of feminine-styled uh, ecosystem, I suppose you would call it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I think, you know, I'm really interested in our ability as gamers and collectors to kind of misinterpret those symbols and those that visual language. So, you know, in the case of Kirby, I think in the case of Sailor Moon games, there's a lot of room for misinterpretation that comes from, you know, these sort of cross-cultural appropriations and, and rebranding from the East to the West and back and all of that. So sure. I, I actually kind of encourage that, you know, even if something wasn't intended for girls, what does it mean for, for a girl to, to come back 20, 30 years later and say, oh, this is, this looks like a girl's game. Right, exactly. I find that kind of, that, that's actually a really interesting sort of opportunity. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, a side note about Femicom, just the, in its visual design, I love it because it has that very 80s sort of gray mixed with pastel blue and pink sort <laughs> oh, yeah, of yeah. Like, 80s girl electronics, I would say. I don't know how to place it. But, yes, I think you nailed it, whatever it was. Oh, great. <laughs> yes, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just just looking at the site itself, it's a good visit. So, I mean, we did mention Kirby, and uh, like I said, there was a game that I my first reaction as a little kid was just like, oh, that's, that's girls or whatever. Bob, tell me if you were in this with me as well, but uh, like I would look at The Little Mermaid 
Everything oh. about The Little Mermaid, including Capcom's NES game, and just immediately go, to, well, that's for girls. I'm just going to ignore that. Yeah. That's icky or whatever. It was so. more It was more out of um, – I mean, I enjoyed all of Capcom's games. I even watched A Little Mermaid, the movie, yeah. and enjoyed it. But I, I was afraid of the shame that would that would befall me if I, if someone saw me playing The Little Mermaid because, you know, you're just trying to figure out who you are as a kid. It's just like that is not for me. You know, mm. these things are not for me. Yeah. But, but in truth, yeah. it was just a regular Disney movie. Good movie and a very good uh, NES game as well because it's Capcom and their Disney yeah. games were so good back then. So what's looks the big great. problem really. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just that sort of thing where you know, you're know a little kid and you just sort of you know have your uh, your role assigned to you I guess. And you know girls are icky. You know I'm never going to go down the Barbie aisle at Toys R Us. I would never be caught dead there. Yeah. That sort of thing. <laughs> it could just be – I mean it could also be the title like The Little Mermaid. Like the, the words yeah. Little Mermaid just extreme, seems like extremely feminine. That's if true. it was like Ariel's Quest or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, or whatever, it would be a different thing. But yeah. um, So <laughs> – of course, that's our perspective, yeah. me and Bob's. I mean, uh, Rachel, I'm sure you came here with a few different things you'd like to talk about. Uh, I don't know if you had anything to start with, perhaps. I mean, yeah, no, I, I think it's interesting that you guys bring up this idea of sort of shame and and this idea of like when you're a kid and trying to kind of stake out your identity. Um, because I think that that was a big motivator for me and why I started doing Femicom. Um, you know, I, I've been a retro game enthusiast and, and collector and now programmer for, for a while. And um, in my experience of browsing online databases and participating in collectors forums, I learned that a lot of retro gamers actually share this opinion. Like, like most are not really big fans of stereotypically girly games about fashion or romance or Barbie. Um, and this was kind of interesting to me for two reasons. The, f- the first is that as a woman who grew up in the U.S., I'm actually quite nostalgic for fashion and romance mm-hmm. and Barbie. Um, that made up a good part of my childhood, as did, of course, Ninja Turtles and starting like lineup figures and sure. Monster in My Pocket I mean, and all that uh, stuff. Tanner Jack, uh, I mean, uh, if I may, I mean, I did notice, you know, even when I was a kid, a lot of girls were into Ninja Turtles. And I, yeah, I did actually yeah. respect that. And I thought that was cool. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's one little example, I guess. Yeah, growing opinion. up with all my Nintendo friends, uh, the girls didn't play girly games. They played the same games we did. They played right. Zelda, Mario, Ninja Turtles, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And I think a lot of the kids who are kind of girly girls just in large part stayed away from gaming. And and I was very borderline because I really liked both of that stuff. And uh, I I didn't have an NES growing up. I wasn't I wasn't allowed to have one, but my my cousins had one. And so I I got to watch and I definitely spent a lot of my childhood kind of at the borders of those two um, cultures. But I think, you know, as I grew up, it was a little disappointing for me to enter, uh, you know, as I started getting interested in retro game community and online forums, and they're, they're largely about 80s and 90s childhood nostalgia, to get there and be confronted with like, oh, no, 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 not not your nostalgia. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, not not Barbies. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah. And, and that's not a dig at retro gamers, of course, but it's just kind of the nature of communities that are built around certain comics common interests. So I, I totally understand that. Yeah, um, I, I think in part because of the attitude, I, I also noticed that these girly games weren't being cataloged and they weren't being collected with the same kind of enthusiasm and rigor. So right. a lot of the information out there was incorrect or missing. And I thought, you know, wow, what an opportunity, one, to provide a space where men and women alike can remember these games fondly and reflect on their strengths, but two, to actually catalog this information that might otherwise be lost. Right. Um, you know, this is kind of per- the perpetual problem with history making, right? The good contemporaneous record keeping is often do- done by us, the enthusiasts, yeah. and our own tastes serve as this filter to kind of determine what leaves a trace and what doesn't. So I just see myself, my role as kind of another enthusiast 
with maybe a different approach to taste making. Exactly. Yeah. I totally see that. And that's part of why I like what you do. Yeah. And just like, yeah, okay, finally, you know, we're putting some light onto this uh, part of uh, retro gaming uh, and, you know, it's getting, getting a bit of it to do, you know, a bit of appreciation and whatnot. So, yeah. And I think, I mean, we talk a lot about uh, gaming in the 90s and I think the 90s was a decade when gaming was very much a gendered activity for boys and men. Uh, I think just, uh, this could be just me and, you know, my own crazy brain at work here, but I feel like with better market research, things like that, they targeted in like, okay, this is where the money is, little boys and men, so we want to make games that appeal to them. So I feel like there was a real push in the 90s to get um, you know, girls out of gaming or make le- make it less appealing to girls because I found that in the NES era, I had a lot of friends that were girls who played NES. But in the 90s, it felt like it was just the guys that were playing video games. And I feel like right. in the 2000s and beyond, um, I think gaming was more inclusive. But the 90s really, to me, felt like, no, no, this is boy boy thing. You know, mm-hmm. stay out girls or whatever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if you look back at old, you know, I was just doing that earlier this morning, looking at old 90s television commercials for the NES and they're just so like over the top explosions smoke <laughs> yeah uh you know lightning bolts now you're playing with power yes. um uh, <laughs> they don't they don't oh, even Jesus. have to say it's for boys because when you're a kid you kind of know what what that stuff means yeah exactly Based on what Bob was just saying as well, it's like I I know there were girls that I knew in school who were just closet gamers, mm-hmm. you know, but they just <laughs> never expressed it at all in in school. But, I mean, like I said, there was maybe the rare girl who would say she was into Ninja Turtles, and that was great. But I mean, otherwise, like, <laughs> just didn't notice it as much. And you know, like um, Bob, when we had that, uh, you know, the controversial episode of Retronauts, Whoa. the John Stossel <laughs> thing, we're still recovering from that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I pointed out how you know in that story from that television news story we were talking about, like there were lots of girls in those examples. Yeah, I mean, know? I. I girls be... were talking about games on the bus and all that. So, and I said, oh, my God, I never saw that at school. Mm. <laughs> I don't know what the difference was. But, yeah, it was really uh, interesting. Well, it was – I mean when I was a kid, uh, we had like a club like as you would when you're a kid. You just make up little clubs or whatever. Yeah. And we would we would design our own Nintendo games. Of course, we were just drawing them on paper. <laughs> sure. But there were three girls as part of this group. And I think that was about half of the organization. And um, they were totally on board with you know any kind of video game. They just loved Nintendo. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too. you bring up this, this good point of like the difference of – the way that the the company you know the way that Nintendo of America portrays gaming versus what was really happening uh, you know on the streets so to speak in in bedrooms right. uh, you know in these clubs and and those two things don't always match so it's you know I'm always really interested in stories like yours of you know what are your actual memories of playing and uh, you know were there girls there was it you know did were you gendering it as a child or is that something you kind of absorbed from tv commercials and the the uh pop-up displays at toys r us and things like that right yeah yeah i mean i just feel like that that 90s push just sort of convinced a lot of people that this is the thing that boys do so i i after after grade school and going into high school and things like that i just didn't meet any girls who played nintendo games i think what like my girlfriend in high school did but she was it felt like she was an oddity like it was like wow wow a girl that plays video games you know like the joke you know a girl or whatever but yeah for, for me at the time it felt rare and that was the late 90s and um it was much different in the late 80s yeah and for me like i came into you know first day of kindergarten basically everyone knowing that i was a nintendo kid so <laughs> like i was always you know uh, teased for that throughout my whole grade school career so i mean <laughs> it's like i i don't know maybe people just didn't couldn't even touch me in that sense like they didn't want to like <laughs> bring anything up except other to, than to tease me and sob, i don't sob. And, uh, I, and i say I, this might this is retronauts but um sorry go ahead actually i just want oh, to finish ahead. my point which was i don't think i uh consciously gendered games because, I, you know, I was just looking for someone else to actually just like them at all. It's yeah, the same yeah. level I do instead of, you know, teasing me. And, yeah. 
for nerds like us, that was hard. Yeah. But I mean, I, I don't want to jump too far ahead. And I, and I said, you know, games they were kind of super gendered for boys in the in men in the nineties. And I think things are getting better. But then again, I think of the the PS4 commercials where it's like two bros broing out with all their bro yeah, games, and right. it's just like there's no there's no place for women. It feels like in with this with the new consoles, I don't see them the, any sort of like reaching out. You know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, everything now is like a live action trailer. Yeah, it's always you know some some beefy guy running around with his gun or his uh, pitchfork or whatever. I'm trying to think of Assassin's Creed, but that doesn't have pitchfork. It's you know it's interesting um, when you think about the way absolutely in the in the 90s NES games in particular in the U.S. were so heavily targeted to boys. And in fact, um, at that time, toy companies were starting to kind of freak out because Nintendo had really taken a lot of their business away, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Traditional board games, for example, were really starting to get nervous about all the <laughs> sort of potential money that they were losing to boys buying Nintendo games. And this is why in the 1990s you see a huge huge surge of girl-centered board games. Oh, I was forced to play a lot of those with my sister. I played, I played <laughs> a lot of Girl Talk as a little boy. Sure, yeah. Yes, Girl Talk, Electronic Dream Phone, Dateline. Um, a lot of people don't really draw the connection there, but this was kind of a response to, uh, to you know, Milton Bradley and some of these board game companies being really concerned and, and wondering how were they going to take back some market. And they thought, well, you know, if Nintendo can market to boys... Why, there's got to be a whole group of girls who are, you know, we can sell product to, and that's kind of the the genesis of a lot of the that the popularity of those games in the '90s. Oh, yeah, but, no kidding. I didn't even think about it in that sense because yeah. you know, I mean, part of what I was talking about my vicarious nostalgia thing was like you know seeing commercials for stuff like Girl Talk, and it's like, oh yeah, well, I mean, that must have connected to somebody. Yeah, <laughs> so, I, I know. Back then, I like, wanted to play Mall Madness really bad. It looked so cool. <laughs> really? like, the, the mall thing, with it all. Yeah, know? and it talked to you. It's like there's a sale at the shoe store. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, that game is fabulous, and it actually has, I believe, it has an arcade in it, which I find really, cool. really super cool. Ah, yes. I've got some photos of that on Femicom. <laughs> yeah. You should check it out. Well, thank goodness Bob can relate somewhat because <laughs> I see I'm sitting here like not even <laughs> – I have nothing. But <laughs> again, that's why Rachel's here. Um, yeah, let's talk about some actual games. I mean, Rachel, I, I was wondering like did any sort of girly game call out to you when you, when you were younger? I mean, what, what was like the first – Yeah. Aspect? In fact, nothing really called out to me as a small kid. Yeah. Um I, I did go to the arcade a lot when I was younger, um, but it was mostly – uh, playing things like skee ball and and air hockey and the uh, what is that game where you hit the gators with the mallet? You know, oh, Gator Panic, <laughs> uh, something like that. Yeah. I'm bl- I'm blanking. Um, I did go to the arcade a lot, but I really didn't get interested in video games until I was a teen, and at that point, that was kind of the first time I got interested in retro gaming. Ah, sure. um, yeah. it, it was it was interesting for me because I think as a younger child, I really enjoyed. Or, or was excited about the NES and about computer games, but I was also kind of reluctant to take part in it. And I didn't really like the competitive nature of those games. Um, but as a teenager, uh, you know, it was kind of right when the NES was was getting junked and getting put in garage sales. Um, at that point, that console was very affordable for me, and it, it also felt safer in a way because game culture had sort of moved on to you know the Nintendo 64 or something and and I thought oh this is an opportunity for me to kind of go back and discover the NES and uh the SNES as well and so I think that's really when I first started getting super interested in games and I think that's also around the time I got the internet at home for the first time oh, yes. and and started researching Japanese games 
Oh yeah. I think, I think that was my really big draw, uh, learning about Sailor Moon games mm-hmm. and Hello Kitty games and stuff like that was a big draw for me. And, uh, the Sailor Moon RPG, another story was a mm-hmm. hugely, hugely influential and, uh, important game for me. Yeah. <laughs> I heard a lot about that as well. I mean, even when I was doing the same thing, researching Japanese games, I would hear about, you know, the same sorts of Sailor Moon games and even like Magic Knight Ray Earth and things that, you know, are sort of gendered in that sense. Like, well, okay, these sound like good RPGs or what have you. And yeah, it seems like we're all, we, we basically follow the same path. It sounds like yeah. we all did, essentially. You know, we were talking earlier about this ability to sort of misread and misinterpret games. And I think mm-hmm. that ability really comes into play with Japanese games where, you know, I had this misconception myself that, like, oh, girls play games in Japan like crazy because there are all these Sailor Moon games and things like that. But I think in some ways we make some incorrect assumptions when we map our sort of Western ideas of femininity and masculinity yeah, onto yeah. Japanese games. So I actually lived in Japan uh, for a while last summer and I, I tried to find every arcade that had a Sailor Moon game in it, and they were always being played by men. <laughs> and, you know, like, I think I was imagining that they were all going to be played by women, and that was sort of my, mm-hmm. my sort of Western-centric view of what a girl's game was, yeah. incorrectly mapped onto Japanese games. And, you know, that's understandable. I think there's, there's sort of, like, interesting room for play there. Yeah. But, but I think we should also be careful about assuming that a certain Japanese game was was for girls or that girls were really encouraged to play games in Japan. Of, of the people that I spoke to while I was there, um, I very much got the impression that the Famicom was targeted to boys, just like it was in the West. Yeah. Though sometimes, you know, the games, the content of the games, the box art, the commercials may make it seem otherwise to us. Uh, sometimes I think we we misinterpret the the like schoolgirl and pink hearts on the box as meaning one thing yeah, when right. it may mean something else. I was going to bring up uh, Momoko 120%, the arcade game from Jellico, yeah, okay. which is yeah, essentially it's just like an action game where you take this little girl and you uh, shoot shoot monsters and things as you go up through what looks like you know a shopping center and whatnot, different levels that sort of go after that. But then you know each stage, Momoko the girl sort of uh, ages you know up to like her teen years and through her twenties at the end, and it's like okay, maybe this it's hard to tell really. I mean, if this is really appealing to girls or just uh, guys who want to see you know yeah, <laughs> a young yeah. woman at the end. talk about maybe misinterpreting things and there's the ex- the extreme gendered example i think you know from america would probably be like barbie games you know sort of the first wave of those that hit on the nes yeah I mean, yeah so so the first one actually predates the nes and it's okay. barbie for a commodore 64 okay hmm. released in 1984 and it has uh actually that's an interesting game <laughs> <laughs> sure um you know, it's hard to talk about the Barbie games as a whole. Um, yeah. I think the quality of these games really depend on a lot of factors, um, platform being one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think it's 
we hear this kind of explanation of like, well, you know, girly games like Barbie games were created on a small budget and the developers were out of touch and they just slapped a girl franchise on there and called it a day. And I think this is probably true some of the time, but I think it's a little bit of an oversimplification. And if we look at each of these Barbie games individually, we see that they're, they're quite different. Um, you know, the, the NES Barbie is, is often held up as like one of those absolutely terrible games. Mm, and yeah. um, <laughs> I have to say, it's not my favorite. You know, I, I question putting a very tall, skinny sprite as a, a playable character in a platformer. <laughs> you know, it just, yeah. like, mechanically, it's just very difficult True, to yeah. navigate. That game was actually ported for, uh, like, DOS, uh, the mm-hmm. following year, and and that version is actually a little more playable. I don't know if they that's surprising. <laughs> they adjusted some of her movement mechanics or something like that. I see. Um, those games, uh, you know, I, I don't want to speculate on what the budget was or how the development went. I, I know with some of the PC games, there was, uh, and having spoken to people who worked on the PC games that came later in the mid '90s, um, people were definitely. The developers were passionate about those games and, and really interested in them as a craft. I, I think platform matters in the sense that PC games opened a really big opportunity for girls, girls games, these sort of pink games. Um, because unlike the NES, where you have to go buy a very expensive piece of hardware to play a tiny one one thousandth of the library of the NES, yeah. um, the PC is starting to become more popular and affordable in the home and CD-ROMs are much less expensive than cartridge games. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a, an opportunity for people to kind of put more development money and and stuff like that into a Barbie game as as well as this idea of like okay, it doesn't have to be a platformer. It could be a game where you print clothes for your Barbie doll. And that was, of course, Barbie fashion designer, one of the best-selling software pieces of 1996. Oh, wow. That's right. Yeah, I do remember that, actually. Yeah. If we could go back a little bit. I'm not sure if this is on your site. I was at your site this morning. I didn't have time to look at it all. But uh, one of the earlier girl games I noticed, and I'm not sure if it's classified as a girl game, but I don't know if we could do that today, but uh, (laughs) uh, Princess Tomato in the Salad Kingdom. Oh, yes. Uh, Is that on your site? I didn't see it, or maybe I just overlooked it. Is that Game Boy Advance? Uh, that's the, NES. The Game Boy Advance game? Um, oh, no, you're talking about the NES one, Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, you are saving a princess in the game, but it's uh, like the game is just a very like soft and gentle world. Everything is a fruit or a vegetable yeah. or like a flower or something like that. Like I said, I avoided The Little Mermaid, but I, I was apparently okay with Princess Tomato and the Salad Kingdom because <laughs> sure. I played a lot of it. I just thought it was so cool. Um, I mean, how do you feel about I mean, I'm not sure if you're very familiar with it at all. Or um... Yeah, I do know a little bit about it. Um, I don't know. I think you could probably make a case for it either way or say that it's kind of a borderline title. I don't I don't think I'm prepared to make a ruling on okay. the spot. But yeah, that is a good that is a good uh, title. You're right in terms of the sort of like cutesy. It's not terribly violent. Right. You I do recall. rock, paper, scissors battles to, yeah. to fight and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think actually the original like uh, computer version of it, which uh, released in Japan only, of course, I yeah. think it appeared like it had a, more of an edge to it. I, I think I, you're I right. Know. I do remember seeing pictures of it. Yeah. There was like – well, I mean in, in the NES game, you can peek at the orange girl in the shower or whatever. Uh, but uh, I think it's more explicit in the PC version, which is usually <laughs> totally the case. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it was – I think the original version was more like, hey, it's all these goofy characters who just happen to be vegetables and whatnot. Whereas here they, I, I, on the NES, I think they just – 
tried to go for a more I don't know fairy tale sort of thing. Just even the cover, just this like these cuddly, cute characters all yeah. modeled in clay. I, I just love it. But on the whole, yeah, on the whole, I mean, it was an interesting game to just publish in America to begin with. Oh just yeah, one yeah. of those adventure games. Uh, yeah, I was interested in it for sure, and I would have played it if I had gotten it at the time. And yeah, I know it has a special place in people's hearts. <laughs> yeah, I think it's also challenging with the NES. I think for the the reason I mentioned before is like that because that console was so exclusively marketed as a sort of tough guy toy. Yeah. You know, the the women that I've spoken to who are who grew up with NES or about my age usually tell me my brother had one, and that was mm-hmm. that was my gateway into playing the NES. Or alternatively. My parents didn't let me have an NES, but they they did cave and give me a Game Boy for Christmas, mm. or I, I did play computer games. So I think like it's it's interesting to kind of yeah. think about these barriers that that maybe aren't obvious right away. Like you know, do you have an NES in the home? Are you allowed to yeah. hook it up and play it? <laughs> yeah. So so you know, regardless of whether. Barbie for NES or Little Mermaid for NES exists, they're they're also these sort of like. Well, do you even have an NES? Uh, mm-hmm. You know these kind of barriers that may have prevented prevented girls from playing those games, and then also maybe prevented those games from being commercially successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, you, going back to like Barbie stuff. I mean, I I know they were not great games, perhaps you know from a critical standpoint, but I I have to imagine that you know it did connect with somebody. Yeah, yeah, and certainly somebody has installed it for them, and so I mean that's that's great. I think I think that's the sort of thing we talk about all the time on this show. And, and for sure, I think it had whether it's crappy or not. I, yeah, mean, I think yeah. it has value. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think you know we think about the sort of nostalgia factor of something like uh, you know Cheetah Men too, or you know even the Virtual Boy, which is a sort of commercial uh-huh. failure. Mm-hmm. Yet you know there's still a huge community of people excited about the Virtual Boy. There's Virtual Boy homebrew. Um, so I think it's important to remember like our the ways in which we celebrate games that. Okay, admittedly, from a critical standpoint, maybe they're not the best. Um, and, and alternatively, uh, thinking about how we played games against the grain, right? Like the the pleasure that we took in games that wasn't was like playing the game in a way that wasn't intended. Oh, yeah. uh, how can you make this game glitch out, or can you like do the thing where you stand on the block and <laughs> then you know your character disappears, or these other things that kids like to do that aren't necessarily about going through the game as intended and getting to the goal. And like one more note about that. I mean, uh, when we talk about, you know, games that were uh, not that great, for example, you know, we talked about Jaws and whatnot on this show before. It's like, I, you know, you can recognize that they were kind of going for weird ideas, yeah. innovative ideas. Wait, sure. Jaws is a bad game? Well, <laughs> it's, a, it's uh, I mean, we did, a, we did an episode uh, half about Jaws, and it's, uh, I don't think it's a bad game. I just think it's a game that needed more time. Right. There are a lot of cool ideas, but uh, it's just very, very limited. Yeah, well, I, which I think is the point with a lot of uh, games that are, are regarded as bad. It's like, yeah. geez, if they had enough time to realize these ideas that they were really going for, it probably would have been, you know, uh, regarded a lot better. Yeah. And so I I, for sure, I'm sure that happened with a lot of these Barbie games, but also just anything else that was sort of regarded as a bad girl game. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are a ton of college students, or maybe they're too old for this, but um, they have like hardcore Mary Kate and Ashley nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Like, I love, I love those videos. I love their games, things like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you know, there's a, another realm as well that we haven't talked about too much yet, which is a sort of um, electronic toy and and maybe non-video video games. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, like the LCD games, yeah. um, Tamagotchi. 
Oh yeah. Uh, stuff like that, which, which ends up being a really interesting way to get at, uh, the girl market, much like CD-ROM games did, uh, these smaller sort of electronics with non-swappable games were relatively inexpensive. And so they found a little bit more market penetration. Um, mm. You know, I, I remember I, I did have LCD games growing up, even though I couldn't have a game console because, you know, they were 10 or $15, pretty inexpensive and uh-huh. would keep you occupied for a while. Yeah. Um, and, and there are actually quite a few, you know, I'm thinking of the Tiger and Konami handhelds, quite a few of those that are based on girls' franchises, yeah. um, a big a big collection of Barbie LCD handhelds, as well as, um, you know, the Disney movies, so Beauty and the Beast. Um, yeah. I remember seeing Beauty and the Beast. Wasn't that just, like, done up in, like, purple and pink, the whole unit? <laughs> yeah, those yeah. Tiger handhelds had these really beautiful casings where, and this is true of all of their titles, it has a kind of that rectangle plastic casing with every every like piece of plastic is a different color, you know. Yeah, so it's yeah. like contrast, <laughs> contrast, contrast. And a lot of those um, games where they thought they could maybe um, pick up some female players, yeah, they did tend toward the pastel, purple, pink. Um, but yeah, you get the buttons that are different colors than the button casings, and then you have this sort of like. Uh, what are those called? The little um, protectors on the corners to kind of keep the uh, system from getting bumpy sort of shock, sure. shock oh, yeah. protectors oh, on yeah, the, the corners. Yeah, those the were different colors as well. The bumpers they had on those things. Yes, bumpers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a word. Yeah. Is, I don't know if there's a word for those things. Maybe not. Maybe they had a technical term in the yeah. list. <laughs> but I'm sure, you know, again, like those Tiger games, for example, just sort of contribute to this idea that, oh, well, they were just trying to make it for girls. Super wasn't that even great anyway. But at the same time, like there are a lot of guys who had a nostalgia for Tiger games. <laughs> I know I do, and I had I had a ton of them. I would get yeah. them like for Christmas, but for like from like gr- my grandma and like uh, people who didn't know that much about what I like to play. They're yeah. just like, oh, he he probably liked this. So oh, yeah. I heard you like Mega Man, so I got you this Mega Man LCD game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I had Mega Man too. Yeah, I had Mega Man too. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you also cover a lot of the handheld stuff, and those are very interesting, especially you know again the ones from Japan. Um, I mean. Uh, I don't mean to put it in a spot, but do you have like an example of a good Japanese LCD game that? Well, my f- my favorite handheld games from Japan are um, there's a line called Herpet, sure, and uh, those are electronic handheld sort of fortune telling devices, and they were a big inspiration for my NES game, Electronic Sweet and Fun Fortune Teller. Um, the idea is that the, you kind of put in your birthday and whatever day it is and maybe some other personal information and you can get kind of a love forecast for the day and these games remind me a lot of uh, game and watch they have that look of sort of a compact that you can fit into your purse they're often the form factor is often like a heart or something very girly and i like them because they really perfectly blend the sort of aesthetics of 1990s girls consumer electronics um with a sort of also the aesthetic of kind of lcd games and and the game and watch and stuff like that so i i found those really interesting yeah unfortunately i wasn't able to find any in japan and from what i can tell they uh when they pop up on yahoo auctions or ebay they do go for quite a bit so i i haven't had oh. the budget to splurge mm-hmm. on one of those oh, yeah. but i understand that dilemma <laughs> 
since we're talking about old Japanese games, uh, you know, that are appealing to women, uh, I was thinking of uh, today before I got here, uh, Pac-Man. Was not designed with women in mind because, I mean, this could be a, a bad stereotype, but uh, the creator was like, women enjoy eating. They, yeah, they eat I've heard that story food. too. <laughs> and uh, I think of even things like Bubble Bobble. That feels like there's there's food everywhere. All the enemies are cute. The dinosaurs. I just feel like that. And you you have to play with somebody. So that could be your girlfriend. Um, right. And I feel like, yeah, like they were on board uh, with making games appealing to women, uh, even that early, where we had like combat and pong and things like that, you know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I feel really conflicted. I, I've heard that story, too, about Pac-Man. Um, but then, you know, I've, I was also just reading that a quote from Miyamoto saying, you know, well, back when we made Donkey Kong, we weren't even thinking about girls because girls didn't go into arcades. Mm, okay. And, and that, of course, that kind of matches my own experience having – Having gone to the arcades a lot as a kid, you know, with my dad, um, I do kind of remember thinking that it, it was a boy's space. And I, you know, as much as I could have when I was six or seven, did feel a little bit out of place. So I don't know. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> I know I always felt out of place in, the, in an arcade because that was, that was the big kid space. Yeah. Usually just, you know, teenage guys and older. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I get that part of it, but for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, on that tack, like there, how about Girls Garden from Sega, right, which right. was uh, sort of programmed by Yuji Naka, who was apparently told, you know, oh, we, let's make a game that appeals to girls. Here, you do it, eighteen-year-old Yuji Naka, who <laughs> probably knows nothing about what to do. And so this game is, you know, you play this girl who's trying to basically uh, grab the attention of, of a boy. That's the uh, conceit, I believe, of the game itself. But and, and for sure, the game is done up in all these flowers and blue skies and pink things and. I mean, but it is at its core just a regular sort of what we might expect from a game of that era. Yeah, no, I like that game. Yeah. I don't know if I have anything else to add. Sure, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a decent game. But it's just funny that you know they're hiring these kids basically to make these yeah. role games, and it's just they're just guys. I mean, they're not probably concerned with little girls no. necessarily. <laughs> they're definitely concerned with girls their age. Uh, oh, I think that's kind of the nature of of toys in general. Like they're mm-hmm. made by adults, right? Yeah, <laughs> so right, yeah. There's always this this disconnect, and um, not that that's a bad thing. I don't know that we should like hand over the reins of Hasbro to five year olds, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's always this this a little bit of disconnect, and um, you know, you rely on the developers to to be creative and have that that childlike mind, and and also to put themselves in the in the space of people that aren't like them. Yeah, and, right. uh, you know, obviously you, you get great things from that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm sure, uh, I mean, everything today would be play tested. They'd have focus groups with little kids. I mean, I don't think they did that with Sega games in the early eighties. You know, they are just like, yeah. we're going to do what we think is right. And then we'll put it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But then they sort of did it with Sega games in like the nineties. I mean, they made the, you know, the Sega club games, which were geared towards little kids. Isn't yeah. That, isn't that completely related to what we're talking about? But yeah, I mean, they did sort of, try and enter different markets when you know they were at their their peak and that of course brings out the sega sega club games that um one of those was crystal's ponytail for sega genesis oh, which that's right yes which is in famicom and you know again we have the problem of a platformer and a playable character that is not suited for platforming right. in this case of a horse that is very wide much well, wider gosh. than it is tall mm-hmm. and and can't really like leap to a platform in one jump yes <laughs> which caused a lot of the like problems with play mechanic in that game yeah probably uh, yeah. harder to make horse games uh in 2d i would imagine yeah. compared to like you know uh, red dead or whatever we yeah. just ride a horse and 
horse platformer. If a horse lands the wrong way, you have to kill it. I mean, it just seems cruel. <laughs> yes. uh, I don't think they incorporated that into the Thank game. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> they they cut that at the last minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Children thought. are responding poorly to executing the horses. Yeah, that's not appealing to girls or boys. <laughs> but um, like, I do want to talk a bit more about like the Sailor Moon games because we had discussed them, and there were a lot of great ones, great examples. But most of them were only in Japan. And like the when Sailor Moon finally arrived here in America in like the later nineties, it was like they didn't really bother localizing any of those no. those games. I mean, this was like prime time in the thirty two bit era as well, and they could have done like one of the Saturn or PlayStation games. I feel like they were really gun shy even with things like Dragon Ball, though. Um, True. Where they did not ne- release nearly the amount of merchandise they could have. Or, yeah. Yeah. But like in terms of like uh, trying to push things, like Sailor Moon was pushed uh, earlier than uh, Dragon Ball. Yeah, that's right? true. So uh, – or you know, a little bit beforehand. Like a few years, I think. Yeah. So uh, like the example from that is that in America, they basically only released like one CD-ROM game, uh, maybe another one, called The 3D Adventures of Sailor Moon. Hmm. It seems odd to me that they just didn't try to go for uh, the console market as well. Although, as we just sort of mentioned, you know, a lot of girls, if they didn't have an NES, they were playing computer games. Yeah, and certainly that was a, that was a that was a good uh, inroad there. I mean, would you agree, Rachel? Yeah, I think so. You know, it, it is unfortunate. This I think the Super Famicom games were sort of the prime when it comes to Sailor Moon. Of course, there were Game Boy and, like you mentioned, it mentioned you know games after that as well, but. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that they didn't bring over some of those Super Famicom titles, especially given how many of them had little to no Japanese text in them at all and yeah, wouldn't yeah. require a whole lot of work, in my right. opinion. Um, you know, you do have some problems with the fact that not all of Sailor Moon was brought over, so you have characters that, you know, yeah. well, do you take these characters out? And you have these sort of storyline changes that happen with Sailor Moon in the U.S., so there's right. a problem there. Yeah. Um, I wish that they would they would re-release some of those titles through DS, um, mm-hmm. whatever the eShop is called now. I feel like it's called something else, and I haven't kept up. That's well, still the eShop, uh, yeah, but yes. <laughs> is it? Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I feel like those games would actually be perfect for re-release, especially now that they're kicking off the Sailor Moon 20th anniversary right. stuff um, worldwide, you know, in okay. Japan as well as in yeah. North America. I... Now that I'm saying this out loud, I feel like I need to write a letter to to somebody to make this happen. Yeah, yeah. 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 They've made like eight thousand Naruto games. They can make. They can put out some Sailor Moon stuff. (laughs) Exactly. And yeah, I mean, uh, uh, some of my, my some of my female friends have expressed their love of those old Sailor Moon games because, like us, they went back and checked out the ROMs or whatever back then, looked at these Japanese games to just see what the Sailor Moon games were like and loved them because, as I mentioned, a lot of them, uh, the 16-bit ones, were really good. Yeah, my girlfriend's a big fan of the Super Famicom RPG. Yeah, and oh, even, it's like, fabulous. Yeah. It's been fan translated, and in fact, people have made like entirely new fan sequels based on like uh, the sprites from those games. That's great. Yeah. Um, so it does have kind of a, a I don't want to say huge, but a, a sizable cult following. So, uh, Rachel, what could you tell us about the, the CD-ROM game I mentioned that came out here in America? Because, you know, I've, I've seen the screenshots and the stuff on, on your site and others, but it just seems sort of like a, a collection of mini games. I'm not sure. How would you? Yeah, I, I mean, unfortunately, my ruling is it's kind of lame. Yeah. Um, it, you know, like the, that's my straight straightforward answer that it's kind of lame but i do feel a bit of nostalgia for um that era of computing when i play the cd-rom game i think a lot about the electronic paper dolls that were popular for sailor moon oh yeah 
um, the, the kind of that windows 95 era. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of fun with the, do you know what I'm talking about? This electronic paper dolls, yeah. kiss, kiss dolls yes. and all of that stuff. Yes. Yeah. That's what they were called. Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked those a lot and made my own like cell sheets and distributed my own dolls back <laughs> in the day. Um, when I was probably like, 15 or something. I think, um, uh, you know, you like embed MIDI files and stuff like that. And oh, it, so that game totally reminds me of that and takes me back there. So I enjoy it for, for that. But, you know, I, I can't say that I like sit around and, and play the game in my off time. Mm, yeah. I think Sam and Max, uh, hit the road, had like a parody of those as a mini game, like dressing up Sam and Max in different outfits as, as paper dolls. Oh yeah. And yeah. like the comic book supplement. Uh, no, within the game itself. Okay, yeah. I remember at least a supplement had because that there was like the car bomb mini game and the, like the coloring book, and then there was also the paper okay. dolls. You could yeah. dress them up in weird costumes. Hmm. I'm blanking on the game. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Was it like a direct reference to Kiss Dolls? Or I'm not more? sure, but I, I I feel like it was of the era where there was a lot of stuff going on in multimedia compu- yeah. PC computing. That's a good segue into just talking about like CD-ROM games in general because as I said before, I mean – and we already said on the show, like it did sort of open up the platform to lots of different creators and people could just go in there and make basically whatever they wanted. And uh, that for sure happened, I mean, in stuff geared towards girls. I mean there was uh, Purple Moon, which was this development company that sort of uh, was uh, designed from the ground up to make games appealing to girls of all ages and they made the, like the Rocket series of games. Um, but at least from my perspective, it's – and you can totally correct me if I'm wrong, Rachel, but it seemed like a lot of the girl-focused CD-ROM games sort of also bled into like the edutainment space uh, most of the time. I don't know. I, there are some other examples that sort of uh, go against that, but I was wondering what you think about that whole CD-ROM space. Yeah, I know. I think you're right. I, I think you know traditionally with girls' media, there is the sort of concern and, – and it, it grew up with the g- girls' game movement – um, pretty much as soon as people started making games for girls, people started making criticism of games for girls. Yeah. <laughs> and like, like the two kind of emerged weird, right? Simultaneously. Yeah. Um, I think there was a lot of concern from mainstream media about, you know, what is this teaching our girls? You know, is Barbie really a good role model? Um, is this going to encourage girls to think that fashion is the only thing that matters and so forth? And, you know, these, these critiques are, are valid. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it kind of turned into this sort of policing of like, what are girls doing? What are they playing mm-hmm. in a, in a way that like, wasn't really mirroring the way that we talked about boys games, like, Oh, impressionable young boys. Are they going to feel like they can, you know, that Mega Man is their idol and, you know, what, <laughs> you know, what's going to happen to the psyche of young boys. I think we saw some of that with like concerns about violence and, you know, when Doom came out, I think we saw some of that. But For sure. um, I, I think part of the move toward these more sort of educational and in the case of Rocket, the Rocket games, they were very like multicultural. And, and so they're, they're kind of like preemptively addressing some of these concerns uh, yeah. that people were levying about why are you why are you reproducing commercial mainstream girlhood? 
And, and part of that is like, a, you know, are you critiquing the game? Are you critiquing girls or what, you know, yeah, some of those right, targets yeah. were not clear from, you know, people like the New York times who were writing about how, how terrible Barbie games were. Um, right. Obviously not everyone. Some people saw the value in those games and some people didn't, but I feel like a lot of those edutainment games were, were sort of this, yeah, like a preemptive strike to say, these games are good for girls, hmm. you know, and, and to actually have some way to sort of demonstrate that through the gameplay. Yeah, I mean, in a contemporary uh, thing I thought of, um, sorry, I'm not articulating myself well, but uh, I feel like women have a harder time of defending the things they like um, just because everything is so, you know, male-focused, uh, you know, as far as consumer goods go. And I feel like, say what you want about the quality of this, but the Twilight series, I feel like it was criticized primarily uh, because it, it was something that women enjoyed. You know, it was a romance that women enjoyed and people just couldn't wrap their heads around. They're like, well, the thing that women like, I don't yeah. like this immediately. You Here's know? all this news footage of uh, women freaking out in line for, to buy the book. Oh, yeah. isn't that crazy? Yeah, I, I just feel like, like women already have like a couple strikes against them when it comes yeah. to like, I like this thing. It's like, oh, well, that thing's not good for you. you know? You're know, you a Twilight mom? Please. <laughs> yeah. Please. <laughs> Absolutely. You guys have, have hit on a really important strain that, that sort of, you know, from – people who are kind of the the pro-feminist side of game critique to the anti-feminist side of game critique, like, it, it almost seems like regardless of your sort of approach to criticizing games, so much of it ends up in the same place, which is like, the girl stuff sucks. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I think I think you, you definitely see feminist inquiry, too, people saying, you know, oh, we don't need to be rescued, we don't need to wear pink dresses, and, and again, those those criticisms are valid, and they have definitely have good points, but but we need to also be cautious that it's not to the point where, where we're just, like, shaming girls out of things that they take pleasure in, and, and in the case of, like, retro games, for example, shaming them to the point where we actually kind of eliminate them from history and pretend it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. As we were talking about this, I was reminded of, like, a uh, the kids on the internet who complained about uh, IGN giving God Hand like a two or whatever it was, yeah, yeah. and then <laughs> giving an Imagine Babies game like seven point five, and getting all upset about it. it's like it's apples to friggin' oranges, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's happened so much. And but maybe yeah. that Babies game was totally awesome if you're into you know virtual pets as much yeah, as a baby maybe. is a pet, you know. Perhaps. But, yeah. My God, but, I think mean, about it. You're right. It is a fallacy to compare review scores. Period. Just yeah, never well, do that. Yes. Well, that's, <laughs> that's something else. Really. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it happens so often. And yeah. Well, and you see, like, too. I mean, if you look at IGN reviews of, I'm thinking of like the DS actually has a ton of sort of girl focused games, like a lot of games based on Disney franchises and things like that, and. Often these reviews read like defenses of masculinity more so than reviews of the actual game. Um, and sort of, you know, you, you can often hear the reviewer like recapitulating this, like, I, I'm totally a guy. I totally like shoot 'em up games. This game is not for me. I don't understand, you know, Hannah Montana or what, like, it's yeah. just sort of like, line of defense after line of defense and then maybe like one very small paragraph about what the actual game is like (laughs) so it's kind of it's kind of interesting the way that we and and not just men but women too uh kind of defend themselves preemptively against these attacks of you know i'm not like this this isn't me this doesn't represent me this is this is girl stuff yeah. And just like just like the Twilight example, uh, I feel like in the gaming magazine days, like girl games were used as like easy comedy fodder by all like the, the dudes who were writing them. I mean, there, I'm sure there were women on the staff of like, hey, we can make jokes about this new uh, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen game or we can make jokes about this game about ponies and we won't need to actually take it seriously. But I'm sure there were plenty of girls who enjoyed those games, you know, and maybe wanted to know if they were any good. Yeah. Yeah. 
why else would they keep making them? Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a demand. Yeah, like uh, as much as you know, uh, sites may have not covered uh, these DS games, for example. I mean, they made a ton of them because the DS just blew up in popularity and just yeah. became a huge thing for everybody of every age group, every gender. But again, yeah, nobody really, as far as the super mainstream sites, we never really bothered to cover them that yeah. much. Well, um, I mean, look at look at how uh, I mean, Nintendogs is. If you look at how much mm-hmm. that game sold, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's like one of maybe the top ten games selling yeah. wise of all time. Sorry. Oh, we'll cover Nintendogs. That's great because <laughs> I guess also that's a first party Nintendo game. It has to be good, right? Yeah, yeah. And we'll cover the heck out of Animal Crossing as well. But <laughs> yeah, stuff that uh, may be done by a third party and maybe only sell like fifty five thousand copies at first. Oh no, that's just girl crap. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. They're just pandering, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and then, like, the really interesting overlap of those two cases is Style Savvy, mm-hmm. which is a Nintendo-published, like, mm-hmm. Iwata is the executive producer, um, but it's, it's you know, it's a game about running a, a fashion boutique, and you're an obligate female playable character. And I thought it was really interesting that that game did get a little bit more coverage than I would have expected, but not as much as maybe it should have. I, 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 yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I did see all the same jokes. Like, I'm a guy. Why should I care about fashion? Well, here's this thing. I guess I have to write about it. Like, it was sort of that perspective, you know? Uh, for sure. I, I, mean, I actually loved both of those games and um, have turned many of my friends onto it as, as much as possible. Um, notably, Adam Saltzman, who I tweet with back and forth about, you know, like, quotes from the game or or memorable scenes. So... I'm, I'm like really proud that I have these, you know, small victories when I can get my friends to play yeah. something like style savvy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I've, I've only played the, the, the demo of the 3ds one, but it's like, yeah, I, re- I totally recognize it and I can understand why people like this. Uh, I, I probably would have had more time to put into it, but I didn't the time, but yeah, it's just, it, it it's for sure just a good example of that sort of thing. Um, I think too, like, uh, I, I, it's a little like pet peeve of mine when, you know, that a game like that is referred to as a fashion simulator or games referred to as makeup simulators or, or, or dress up sims. It's like it, it, in a way it kind of reduces, it sucks all the fun out of the game and reduces it down mm. to something kind of irrelevant. I mean, I, yeah. I feel like it's calling, it's, it's like calling Super Mario Brothers a, a jumping simulator. <laughs> like that's not what's fun about the game, but you've kind of just like sucked all of the joy out of it in, in referring to it by genre. And it's, you know, something is sort of seemingly trivial as, as genre classification that it's like, well, let's, let's investigate that. I don't, you know, makeup sim might not be the best genre right. classification. Yeah. But again, if you're just so predisposed on disliking it because it's made by this person or to did, did like this and it's not quite like X or Y or Z. Yeah. I mean, Naturally, that that kind of thing is going to pop up. Uh, but yeah, a greater understanding of sort of where things are coming from always helps in any sort of criticism. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the for me, the best part about Style Savvy is you said you have only played the demo. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Um, well, this isn't a spoiler, but like the best part of that game is talking to your customers and they just right. say like the descriptions of each mm-hmm. person that comes in. They're absolutely like hilarious. It's sort of... I love fish sticks and I'm not going to like back down from that. They like all, <laughs> all the people who come in just say these most like off the wall rando things. And it's, it's really funny to get to know them. You know, your customers will, will be repeat customers. So some of them will come back and kind of like remembering all your quirky customers. It's, is, 
there's a joy. It's kind of like playing Animal Crossing. It's hard to describe, but you, mm-hmm. you know, you get to appreciate your neighbors or your customers. <laughs> uh, but you know, speaking of Animal Crossing and stuff, I know Nintendo's put out a new uh, the Disney Magical World game. Yeah, that's right. And I, the uh, the the marketing aura around that, at least in Japan, seemed to be more female focused. But I, I look on Nintendo's YouTube channel, and they have all these videos about the game, and they have a boy and a girl talking about it and all that stuff. They're really trying to appeal more to the uh, just everybody who liked Animal Crossing. Basically, mm. it's like, oh, here's a Disney version. It's not necessarily a girly princess Disney thing, but yeah, it's just Disney. It's cool, right? So, I mean, that's sort of an interesting uh, dichotomy between what we were talking about in the '90s and '80s Nintendo marketing stuff. <laughs> So yeah. The point of that. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to check that out. I haven't, I haven't seen those videos yet. Yeah. Seems like an all right game. It has great music anyway from the videos I also. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, I'm not sure if it's cool to. I mean, uh, I'm German Lammy. Can I talk about no German Lammy? Of course. Okay. Why not? Uh, I'll, another I'll, excuse. Another any excuse to talk about this <laughs> yeah, game. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how our guest feels about this, but I mean, I was not as enlightened uh, as a teenager as I am now, of course. But what I like in retrospect is how much the, her gender was uh, kind of irrelevant to the entire to her entire character. I mean. I thought that was like super – I mean I, I'm talking now speaking from an adult perspective. But I think that was super like uh, – probably like an empowering figure for girls because she was in this space that was sort of dominated by men. Maybe not in the game world but certainly in real life, you know, rock and roll. Uh, if you're a woman in rock and roll, I'm sure it's a hard, it's a hard road ahead of you, you know, try to, to try to prove yourself. And uh, the fact that she was a woman was not important. I mean she put on makeup in the last level. That was pretty much the only kind of signifying factor. But um, – yeah, I just, I'm just curious to know what our guest uh, feels about I'm German Lammy as a girl game or just as a game. Yeah, you know, I do like the game. I, I like it and its, and its predecessor. Um, I was surprised in doing a little bit of research on the game that it, it was billed as Parappa for girls. Ah, okay. Media, which surprised me because, you know, like you said, it, it's not overtly sort of flowery and, and princessy in a way that would make, make me think that the case yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I I understand that it didn't that game didn't sell great. That's my understanding. So I, yeah. I don't know if um, the fact that it had a female playable character and the fact that the media had kind of built it um, in this way, whether that you know impacted sales or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I definitely enjoy the game though. It has a great. Obviously, great art style and and everything that it that its predecessor had. So yeah, I was just wondering if if you if you how do you feel about games where there's a female character but her femininity is not um the it's not like sort of a highlight or a feature. It's more like push to the background and she's more of a um kind of gender neutral kind of character. I'm I'm not sure how you feel about something like that. Yeah, well, I, of course, there's a spectrum, right? There's you know on the one end is Barbie and on the other end is probably Lara Croft, um, a character that I don't identify with at all right um so i mean i think the great thing about lammy is it 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 does have this sort of touch of realism that you know i certainly enjoy and identify with as someone who um you know occasionally played the role of a girly girl i think you know in some ways yes her her femininity is or her gender is is pushed to the background but um we also pick up on the those everyday cues as well and I, i think Maybe her her gender does come up throughout the game in, in little subtle ways. Um, you know, maybe the ways that, that different characters sort of refer to her, or call her out, and so yeah, maybe subtle subtle things that a female 
playing the game might relate right. to. And um, I, I mean, Parappa, that can be really powerful. Right. I mean, Parappa was insecure, but I, I think the fact that she was a woman in this in this rock and roll male world prob- probably lent to some of her insecurities because she was like, it's a, it's a story about a character gaining confidence eventually, like overcoming trials. And I think maybe not that all women are insecure or, or like inherently insecure, but it's it is a man's world, you know, and uh, that probably lent to a lot of her uh, anxiety, you know, as a character. Yeah. Oh, really and, and as someone here. who played guitar as a teenager, I <laughs> definitely um, relate to that feeling of you know not not fitting in or feeling like it was a world I didn't belong in. Um, you know, like many of these retro games, though, I did not get the chance to play them until long after they had come and gone. Mm. So maybe their their impact was was muted in some way for that reason. <laughs> Yeah, I loved Lamy as well, and I got that game as soon as it came out. But yeah, I never ever really thought of it as Parappa for girls myself. Yeah, it I was. Mean, it, I mean, it was just. I mean, I knew it was. I guess I knew it was a Parappa sequel, so I knew it would probably be good in that sense. But yeah, I mean, I li- I liked the character as well for all the reasons that Bob has stated. Yeah. Sorry, we're gonna add something. Oh no, no, I, I just was saying, like it was it was a more hardcore game, and like I naturally associated oh, yeah. harder games with you know not being for girls because right. that that was sort of how they were marketed and everything like that, um, you know, at least in the 90s when things were really gendered in terms of video games, at least in the console space. Yeah, I, I think probably that that difficulty problem is is really important, actually, in terms of thinking about older games. And I think why so many games targeted to girls just aren't fun, because they're not, har- they're not challenging enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think the prevailing wisdom was, okay, we've got, you know, gamers, maybe new gamers, newcomers, maybe some uh, players who are feeling a little insecure. Let's make it easy and and offer that sense of accomplishment. But I mean, probably all of us know that the fun of a game is not beating it, but go- going through that challenge process yeah. and feeling like you've mastered something very difficult. And unfortunately, games uh, with these sort of girly franchises haven't really had that appropriate level of challenge except when you know maybe the mechanic is terrible and you're trying to get a really skinny barbie to jump on a platform um that's a different kind of challenge when you're you're a horse trapped in super mario world (laughs) (laughs) this relatively like amazon sized woman riding a horse (laughs) i guess that's uh, that would be kind of one of my hopes for for girl games as they progress through time is that they get more difficult um, I don't think easy games is what got boys interested in gaming, and I don't think it's it's going to get girls interested in gaming. Right, exactly. I mean, I'm sure there was some very uh, misinterpreted focus groups back then. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, about, yeah, what they actually want out of a game. I just want to jump back to the CD-ROM stuff. I did want to talk about a bit about uh, Chop Suey mm. because uh, I know uh, Retronauts' friend Jen Frank has trumpeted it quite a bit oh, yeah, you're and right. for you know very good reason. It's uh, essentially it's just an interactive storybook, because um, sort of kind of meant for girls, but I think it's pretty appealing for everybody. Uh, but uh, Rachel, could you talk a bit about it? Yeah, so that was a game done by um, Teresa Duncan and Jeremy Blake. I think worked on that one as well. Mm. Um, Teresa Duncan did a. a a few CD-ROM games. There's Chop Suey, Smarty, and Zero Zero. Right. And they're all um, 
essentially kind of the same genre, point and click. I mean, I, you could call it storybook or maybe a point and click adventure is sure. another genre that would describe it. But um, the games, I, I think what's really appealing about these games is just the same thing that's appealing about style savvy and the same thing that's appealing about um jammer lammy is sort of like really quirky art style and humor that unfolds throughout playing the game mm-hmm. you know chop suey and smarty are are just incredibly funny hmm. um and i think you know funny to young folks and you know funny to adults as well you know look, looking back and playing on playing some of those games i definitely um enjoyed them for the sort of humor aspect. I mean, yeah, from everything I've read and everything you said, and, I mean, it just sounds like it could have been just another, like, uh, LucasArts adventure game, you know? It could have been, like, Day of the Tentacle, because I know Bob and I are kind of affected by that and oh, Sam yeah. and Max and stuff, and so, yeah, I, I think if we had <laughs> seen or tried Chop Suey, it probably would have been pretty cool. Yeah, I, I never saw it, ever. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's... I was only that's, just recently made aware of it, Yeah, actually. that's the other part of this, is that yeah. it didn't really... Uh, break out that much, and so it's kind of hard to find. As well as I, uh, uh, Teresa Duncan's other uh, products. Yeah, they are, they are incredibly hard to find, unfortunately. As opposed to you know Barbie fashion designer, right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, check those out. I would say because uh, you know from everything uh, Jen has said, at least I mean it seems like they really hold up. All right, so let's talk about something really fun because I know this has been featured on Femicom quite a bit, and that is uh, something called the Casio Loopy. Oh, nice. Rachel, if you would, please. Oh, sure. Um, the Casio Loopy, I don't know if it's the centerpiece of Femicom, but it's definitely one of my favorite items. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've kind of dedicated a whole virtual wing to it. And um, it's a 32-bit console that um, was only released in Japan. And I, I guess I, I hear it described online as the first console for girls. Mm. And I'm not certain that that is totally true, yeah. but we'll, we'll go with that for now. The first console for girls. Um, it was not incredibly commercially successful. And for that reason, only 11 games were ever released mm. before it was discontinued. It came out in 95, and I think... You know, the last game came out in 96, so it, it wasn't around too long. Um, what's really unique about this console is that it has a sticker printer embedded into the console, so you can actually take screenshots from various games and print them out right from your console. It's the predecessor and- to the PS4 share button. Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yes. So uh, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm turning around and looking back at my collection of loopy games, so pardon me if my voice trails off here for a second. Um, the, I guess the, the cartridges look kind of like Super Famicom carts. Um, pretty nice. You know, it's, it's a 32-bit console, but it's cartridge-based, so think maybe like GBA-style mm-hmm. graphics. Very nice, you know, all 2D sort of sprite background type thing. Um, only one controller port, so we, we have only one one player games. Um, and then, you know, in terms of genre, there are a variety of games ranging from uh, a, a sort of life simulator that, that looks very much like Animal Crossing to, um, you know, sort of trivia games, uh, a lot of sort of what I would call like productivity software, which is Mm-hmm. Games where you can make uh, different music or even take advantage of the sticker printer to print out 
um, gift tags and, and little notes that you can swap with friends and things like that. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a little bit of an overview of the software library. But, uh, what is, do you think you could articulate really what, uh, what the main appeal of it is to you? So, you know, I became interested in Loopy because I, I had read about it online as being this sort of console for girls. And I, I had to, the opportunity to actually um, speak with some folks that were uh, familiar with the development of the console and, and uh-huh. learn a bit more about it. You know, I don't, I think it's one, it's interesting to me because it's a console that wasn't necessarily explicitly intended for girls, but mm-hmm. it's one that kind of happened to be mostly appealing to girls, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, m- much in the way that the NES it doesn't say for boys on the box, but right. the, the software yeah. library kind of makes it so. And I think I think Lucasio Loopy is interesting because it's sort of the alternate side of that. It's you know it doesn't really like explicitly say that it's only for girls. Yet we see a software library that features mostly female playable characters and and centers on things more interesting to females. So I think it was interesting to me for for that reason. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm looking back at the box behind me, which the box for the console, which has a number of lovely hearts on it. The the logo is actually two hearts kind of linked together. That's right. So, um, I mean, for me, it's, it's really interesting because it really, um, takes advantage of sort of the importance of visual language and, and appealing to girls, not by saying like, Hey, it's for girls, but through these sort of visual cues that um, make you feel like, Oh, this is for me. Exactly. Yeah, I get that. And yeah, I was, I was probably going to say something like that. So yeah, it probably was not. Yeah, they weren't they weren't uh, putting it in writing or anything. But yeah, if you could look at it and see that, okay, this is heading for some sort of audience. But yeah, I mean, from the look of the actual console, I mean, it looks like a console from 1995. It does. It doesn't. It's not done up in any sort of specific gendered kind of design. I mean, it looks like it could have fit alongside any of its competitors, really. Yeah, and I think another interesting thing about it uh, about the console for me is. Like, you know, you mentioned, yeah, it looks like it fits right in with that sort of era of gaming. But I find it really interesting that when I read online about the Loopy, I see so many reviews that say like, oh, it's such a feminine console. You know, it's purple (laughs) and um, it's pretty much the exact same gray as the Super Nintendo, which is like a slightly purplish gray. Um, that that yellows over time and gets yeah, more yeah. and more neutral, yeah. um, like my Super Nintendo has done. Um, but it's interesting to me to kind of see the ways that people, like when when they have this idea that something is for girls, the way that they sort of that becomes a filter for people and their expectations for a yeah. console. Yeah, you probably read, you know, on Wikipedia it says, "Oh, it's specifically targeted for girls," and now your mind is just thinking, "Oh, every every line of this design looks like it's for girls, right?" Yeah, it's got a bow on it, oh, <laughs> eyelashes. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, uh, which I, I also find really interesting when you look at um, the way people talk about the GameCube, which oh, was sure. purple, right? Um, and like bright orange. People call it indigo or blue. Yeah. Like to me, that's really interesting, and I, I wonder if there's some of that same thing going on or not. I yeah, I wouldn't doubt it at all because <laughs> I, I've seen it in a way. I can tell you that only only an adult woman's hand is going to fit through that GameCube carrying <laughs> oh. handle. <laughs> I don't know about that. I can't do it. I don't think my hands are that big. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Nintendo of America for sure tried to make sure you call it Indigo. It's an Indigo GameCube. It's not mm. purple. Is it this or that? Because, but I mean, that's not orange. It's spice. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't even bother releasing the orange one here. I thought no. there was an orange one. Maybe just the controller was spice. Yeah, just yeah, they released okay. the orange controller. Yeah, not the orange system. Because I, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, 
for sure that created a big stereotype problem i think for the gamecube like people just blew it off just because it was yeah. purple and yeah that's too bad i think you know it's interesting too it it brings up another debate this console the idea of like what is a game yeah. and where do you draw the lines on something that's a game versus software and um you know a lot i think a lot of people will dismiss the loopy and say well none of these were games mm-hmm. they were you know software or something and and it, I think that's sort of interesting too. I don't think I have an answer. Like I, I don't have a strong feeling of like, well, a game is a game when it meets these like four criteria. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those that's people not can... like a debate that I'm interested in engaging. Um, but I think it's it's interesting that like we as collectors or we as enthusiasts are interested in in delineating. And sometimes it comes down to something like uh, format, right? Like if it's on a cartridge versus if it's on a CD-ROM. Yeah, I feel like people only have that conversation when they want to invalidate something. There's no, there's nothing <laughs> yeah. more to it. It's just being very disingenuous, and I hate that. Just like, no, no. If I can sit down and play with a controller, it's a game. I don't care what I'm doing, you yeah. know. <laughs> Mario paints a game. Go to hell. I mean, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, I use those words interchangeably to begin with, but, like, I go on Steam, or, like, it's the software tab. Yeah. Where there's a painting suite or whatever, but, like, games are software, too. I, it's, But I, I guess I get why they have to separate those things, just because, you know, otherwise people are thinking are going to have that sort of invalidation discussion, yeah. quote-unquote discussion. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but let me ask you, uh, does the Loopy have a killer app? Uh, I knew you were going to make me pick one. I can't <laughs> oh, no. do that. Um, All right, well. there, there's a really great one. Unfortunately, my, my Japanese is um, not as good as it could be. So in some cases, I have barrier, like language barriers to engaging with all of these games fully. Um, there is a game that from, from my cursory understanding, um, you can create comic book, uh, panels and print them out with your sticker printer I see. and then actually arrange the panels to, you know, you, you can add, um, word bubbles and copy and stuff like that to sort of make your own comic books with these pre-existing characters. That seems really, really cool and something I totally would have been into as a kid and and still into. Um, There's also another, um, I guess it's a a sort of hardware slash cartridge um, called uh, Magical Shop. And this is a device... If you've ever seen like the Super Famicom Game Piraters, it looks kind of like oh, that. Yeah. It's like a gigantic cartridge, um, and you you set it into the console, and it actually has um, AV inputs, so you can get a camcorder or a DVD player, or VCR, or something, and pull images from uh, outside video sources, and then oh, cool. add like text bubbles and things like that, and then print those out as stickers as well. I think I saw a dog with sunglasses on your site. Is it the same software? Okay. It might be. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. That sounds like just what Nintendo did with the 64DD. Mm, they right, made yeah. that cartridge with the AV inputs in it, and you can use that Mario Artist uh, thing to you know in, integrate uh, pictures and, and video and stuff into that. That looks so cool. So, yeah, yeah it that, definitely has yeah. a vibe of a Game Boy camera as well, that sort oh, of yeah. like yeah. playful yeah. approach. Um, I, guess, I guess those might be my two... My two killer apps, I would say probably um, uh, Loopy Town no Ohea no Hoshi is the sort of Animal Crossing-like mm-hmm. game that I... Unfortunately, my Japanese is not good enough to get through very much of it. But as I understand it, you um, have this part-time job and you earn money and you can buy furniture for your house. I see. Um, 
So that seems pretty cool. Again, I mean, it sounds like predecessors to things that are popular now. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. It's too bad it didn't last too long, but I mean, there are other sorts of examples. There, are, I was thinking of also like the Bondi Pladia, which uh, you know, was made to just basically play licensed anime games. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I mean, that looks, I mean, if you want to argue about it, that looks more girly than the Loopy does because it's like bright blue and it has these pastel buttons. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yet that also had Sailor Moon stuff, Dragon Ball stuff. I mean, so, I mean the Loopy sounds cool because I didn't even really hear about it until I was uh, looking at Femicom, you know, back in the day. It's glad that you sort of take the, uh, like I said, with all the other things, sort of shine a light on this stuff because it is very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, we covered quite a bit already, but I was wondering, Rachel, is there anything, anything else that you really wanted to uh, tell our listeners about as far as games or concepts or anything? No, I don't think so. You know, I, I always encourage um, anyone who has, uh, you know, see something on my site that's missing or has a memory that they want to share with me, a story from their childhood or uh, you know, uh, a box of old software that they found in the attic and want to give to a good home. I'm I'm always open to any and all sort of suggestions and, and donations and have actually had a lot of um, very generous folks donate knowledge and stories and, and games to the collection. So Yeah, I mean, I'm just sorry that we couldn't get a whole lot of other people here with firsthand experience because, yeah. you know, it's two guys <laughs> talking about this and it's like, oh, well, it's not always going to be... Uh, it's not going to be that great. And, well, I, I hope that my site is interesting to men and women alike and everyone it. in between. Um, you know, I, I hope that people can find their own sort of pleasures in these games and um, interpret and misinterpret and, uh, you know, sort of imagine what might have been and things like that. So it's um, I'm, I appreciate the opportunity to get to talk to you guys and hear your perspectives, which are obviously different than mine, but also in, really interesting. And, and I've been interested to hear how much overlap you know, just the three of us had as sort of kids probably growing up around the same time. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, as we said, you, you seem to do uh, much more, much cooler stuff than we do. Yeah. <laughs> Chip tunes and uh, homebrew stuff. We're not working hard enough. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I mean, I hope, you know, people take this as sort of a uh, reminder to, you know, think twice about the next uh, girl game you see that you might yeah. dismiss. Cause, and don't have so much anxiety about playing games that are not masculine or yeah. maybe not as masculine as you know gears of war or whatever because yeah. i look at uh, like i said console games now and i feel like xbox one ps4 super gendered for guys again it's like we're going back to the 90s uh, but nintendo yeah. at the same time like i have my 3ds next to me and like everything is much softer much more gent much more gentle much more feminine um not necessarily you know in terms of you know the games that are you know how, how difficult they are but things like right. uh, tamadachi collection is that did i say that right oh tamadachi life tamadachi life be. Yes. yes uh which is i feel like a very feminine game, but I mean, it can be enjoyed by everybody. But I, I, I'm not going to see that on PS4 or Xbox One. You know, these sort of like inclusive outreaching games. So yeah, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but um, I, I as well on PS4, I like uh, Doki Doki Universe. Oh, okay. That's not like feminine or anything, yeah, but it is. Yeah. You know, it, it does have a very sort of childish aesthetic to it. But it is a really kooky, fun game, and I think you know it's about uh, sort of. Uh, Interacting with people, sort of learning about emotions and things. I mean, it's done very tongue in cheek, but it is right. made by the made by one of the guys who made Toji Mineral. Oh, cool! Uh, and I think that's actually it's a great game, very very colorful and fun, and worth just like exploring. You go around these different planets and just meet people, and you sort of do like fetch quests, but it's all about you know sort of uh, accomplishing tasks for them and making them feel good, essentially. 
and I think that yeah, that that's great. It's a great appeal to everybody, all ages, all gender. Hmm. So yeah, <laughs> there's at least one example. Right. I guess <laughs> I was just thinking. Next gen. I was thinking more of the marketing. You know, okay, it sure. just feels yeah. like uh, no girls allowed again. You know, for right. the consoles again. I don't know. Maybe maybe things will change. Yeah. I mean, that is unfortunate because yeah, there is that whole external message you're sending out. But like at least on, again on PlayStation systems, there's like all these great indie games flowing in. Right. That you know can be enjoyed by anybody for sure, and they're definitely cool stuff that's coming in. But uh, yeah, it's just like the outward stuff is just like, yeah, right. let's go, let's get together and shoot stuff. Man. That awful perfect day commercial. Yeah. I have seen it 5,000 times because I watch things on blip yeah. and I hate it with yeah. all my life. Is that in the watchdogs one? Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Well, I think it's interesting too, you know, in, in thinking about indie games, um, you know, what always stands out to me about indie games. And of course I, I love indie games and have been, you know, part of that community as well. But mm-hmm. um, also thinking about, you know, based on the things we've talked about today, um, what does it mean to have a contemporary pixel art game? Mm. And especially with respect to gender, um, you know, if if it's true that the NES was primarily situated in in boyhood and sort of w- was was marketed as a boys' toy, whether or not that was sort of the rea- reality of who played it, then what does it mean to kind of revive that yeah. in a way mm. through the sort of like you know pixel art aesthetic language of eighties and nineties console games? Um, I, I don't think that people making pixel art games today are like. Yeah, let's let's kick the girls out with this pixel art game. Like that, I, I don't think anyone has that intention at all. Yeah. But I think it's kind of interesting to keep in mind um, with indie games. Is like who might this appeal to? Who would feel nostalgic for it, and who maybe wouldn't feel nostalgic for it? Yeah, but like at the same time, I, I loved uh, Gone Home last year, and that that appropriated mm-hmm. like horror and FPS, and that's why a lot of people were put off by it because it was like this is a game about women in love. Ugh, I thought it was going to be scary. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. I I liked Gone Home actually. I thought it was very sweet. Yeah, it was. Just, yeah, yeah. Made me choke up. Yeah. <laughs> so I I mean I think indie games are a really great opportunity for us to like again sort of appropriate yeah. and reconsider and um, intentionally misread and intentionally misuse maybe in different ways and um, yeah. Uh, why don't you as we sort of in the show? Why don't you talk talk about uh, the games you made? Oh uh, yeah, sure. Uh, the first one, it definitely borders on the is it a game debate. Uh, Track and Field 2 is a sort of cooperative glitch dance music making game. Hmm. Um, it takes advantage of the NES power pad map controller. Mm-hmm. And um, essentially the idea is that uh, you have uh, you know two people playing together to kind of figure out how to engage different bass lines and uh, drum rhythms and melodies. Uh, through kind of dancing on the dance pad and also using the controller. And um, it's it's kind of one of those games where you have to sort of figure out which buttons do what and then uh, sort of learn the rules of the game and decide how you're going to play it. Are you going to make a song? Or are you going to try to kind of glitch it out? Or are you just going to dance around and not worry about the buttons? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe interactive art installation is is another place where that game is situated. Um, but it does it does run on the NES. And then uh, the second game is Electronic Sweet and Fun Fortune Teller. Uh, again, this is a, an NES game where the player enters uh, his or her name, birthday, blood type, if you know it, and the current date. And you'll be assigned a horoscope that's based on randomly generated uh, sentence fragments. <laughs> so sometimes it um, comes out kind of sounding awkward or funny or, you know, weird or maybe really accurate. Well, it already sounds um, better than taboo. 
I have heard the comparison to Taboo, yeah. indeed. Um, there's also a, a love test mode, which uh, will allow you to enter your name and the name of your crush to get a compatibility rating. Mm-hmm. And this is like definitely a throwback to um, like lovecalculator.com, mm. I think it was, or the web love calculator from the mid-90s, where you would do the same thing. You would put in your name and someone else's name and you know, click go and you would get the sort of compatibility score. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a reference to that, but yeah. both games sort of draw on the visual language of nineties material culture and, and girl culture. Um, I always like using sort of pastel colors and, you know, from, from people in the game dev community or, or specifically the NES dev community, I hear like, wow, I, how do you get these colors? I've never seen these colors on the NES before. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, like, well, it's just a palette. No one used yeah. it, but they're, they're pastel colors in there. Okay. Um, I, it, it's not like a secret programming trick. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, so I always find that kind right? of funny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I remember there's another game you featured on Femicom. I f- totally blanked on the name, but it's the one about the, uh, the, the, the office lady. Yes. Yes. Zooming secretary. Yes. Mm. That. Yeah, that's a, a homebrew game, NES game done by Shiru and Pinwiz, who are um, both in Russia. And that's an absolutely fabulous game. Yeah. It's free. Like, everyone should go download it and play it on your emulator, PSP, or whatever you use to play NES games. Yeah, yeah it's, another- it's kind of like a, a single screen um, climb up and down the ladders game. You're answering phone calls and... Uh, avoiding chatty coworkers, uh, the mechanic is is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I, I, that was one where it also seemed like they nailed the aesthetic, like the proper sort of old arcade game uh, NES eight bit whole th- that whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> they, it, they it really looks nice. very much like Popeye or one of the oh, yeah. original sort of yeah. black box Nintendo NES games or, or arcade games. Yeah, the the art style is beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as you were talking about the power pad, I realized we never even mentioned Dance Aerobics. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I like that game a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is very, like, that's sort of... <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very interesting because it's like that whole 80s sort of aerobics craze thing where it's always like, you know, the women dressed up in their jumpers and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that yeah. translated into an NES game. Um I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't think it's that great at uh, actually uh, helping you with your aerobics. Not really. But you have to like do this sort of stilted movements on the power pad. Right. Technology's kind of limited. It's hard to follow a uh, barely animating figure yeah. style. But yeah. <laughs> thankfully, that technology has improved. So yeah, I think this has been a pretty good discussion. Uh, yeah. th- thank you once again, Rachel, for coming by and coming by on the internet rather and helping us out and giving us some really important insight and you know ways to think about this sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, for sure, everyone should check out Famicom, Famicom.org. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, because you'll you find uh, that whole database of games. And uh, I believe people can even send in their memories of these specific sort of uh, girly games. And uh, yeah, it'd be a great thing to check out because at least, you know, look at the loopy stuff because that's, that's, that's nice. That's a nice little pocket of uh, 90s gaming that, yeah. again, I didn't really know about until I saw it on Rachel's site. That's new to me, too. Yeah. That's it for us this week. Of course, you can find us on retronauts.com where you can find our posts, regular updates on the episodes. Uh, you know, we link to like their SoundCloud embeds, nice and handy way to listen to the show uh, as it goes up. Uh, Twitter, Retronauts, uh, Facebook.com uh, slash Retronauts as well. Like our page. 
We, we appreciate it. We're on iTunes as well. Find us on iTunes. Give us a nice review. Five stars or more. It's always nice. Uh, any update on the contest? Uh, it's still going on. If you leave a review before May 14th, 11.59 p.m. PST, uh, use the word Fandango in your review. You'll be part of the contest. Grand prize winner gets their uh, topic made into an episode in a T-shirt. Then there will be two runner-up winners who will win a T-shirt. Yep. So you have to go on iTunes for that. Yep. Please and thank you. The English store. Yes. The English store. I'm sorry, I'm American. Yes. <laughs> I made things more confusing. Yeah, yeah you did. <laughs> uh, personal Twitters, I'm RDBAAA on Twitter. Bob is? I'm Bob Servo, B-O-B-S-E-R-V-O. And Rachel, if people want to find you on the internet or Twitter, anywhere. Yes, you can. Um, Femicom Museum is at Femicom Museum. That's F-E-M-I-C-O-M. Uh, and then uh, if you're interested in following my NES dev homebrew stuff, I'm at Partytime, H-X-L-N-T, for Partytime Hexlent. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Anything else going on in our lives? Of course, I keep forgetting to do this before on the show, but I remember now I do another podcast, a goofy podcast with my friend Alex Fraioli, who's been on Richard way back then. It's called No More Whoppers, nomorewhoppers.com. It's just BSing about whatever. Uh, Bob, it's anything? Uh, yeah, I, I write regularly for US Gamer and Something Awful, so check those out, and yes. uh, that's it for me. And uh, US Gamer, uh, uh, Jeremy did a whole bunch of Game Boy retrospective yeah. stuff for its uh, anniversary, I believe. 25 years. Yes, and I love the Game Boy, and I love writing about it, so mm. too bad I couldn't for this, but yeah, Jeremy did a good job, because it's basically like a part two of what I did on 1UP back when it was 20 years old. Yeah, that was, that was great stuff, yeah. too. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you once again, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Everybody else, check out uh, Femicom, as we said before, and everything else we do. Uh, we'll see you next week for Retronauts Pocket. Bye bye. But we know that's wrong, because we can talk girl talk. 